Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy Collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Welcome to Go Ask Alley, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Don't think that there's some one soulmate. It's not like there's one. Although Bon Jovi is my soulmate. <laughs> there's always exceptions. Are you saying that gossiping is the same as if I'm picking lice out of your scalp and eating it? Well, you've done both. So what do you think? I don't want to give her too much. I don't like her to come in with an inflated head. So we won't mention the Golden Globe. After all we've been through, we deserve an orgasm, sis. Honey, we deserve. I know. <laughs> Welcome to Go Ask Allie. I'm Allie Wentworth, and this season I'm digging into everything I can get my hands on, peeling back the layers and getting dirty. So last season, we talked to Dr. Harold Kopowitz about the epidemic of anxiety in our teens. And today we're digging deeper and getting a little more specific because we're talking about what experts are calling climate anxiety. So a few years ago, my youngest daughter wanted to have a lemonade stand. And of course, we have always said that if you have a bake sale or a lemonade stand, you have to do it for a cause. And my daughter Harper said, oh, we have a cause. We have a cause. I said, well, what is it? And she said, polar bears. And I said, well, how is that a cause? And she showed me a photograph of an emaciated and dirty polar bear sort of trouncing through what looked like a melted fjord. It was just water. And she said, mom, because of global warming, they're dying. And it devastated my younger daughter. And she said, I've got to have a lemonade stand. I have to raise money, mom. We have to save the polar bears. It was a crisis and an emergency, and she needed to raise money right away. So it's real climate anxiety. So how do we help our kids cope with this deep worry so many are feeling over climate change and their future? I mean, kids are already affected by climate change when they have to run from a wildfire or they lose their home in a flash flood. Or maybe they're just terrified about a global extinction of animals. Climate anxiety is becoming a real mental health issue, which is why I'm so grateful to talk to our guests today. We have two. First, Dr. Susan Clayton, an environmental psychologist, and then Jeremy Jarecki, a high school student and climate activist for one teenager's point of view. First up is our mental health expert. Dr. Susan Clayton is a professor of psychology at the College of Worcester in Ohio. Her research examines the way people think about and respond to nature and environmental issues, and she's currently writing about the effects of climate change on mental health. She's published over 100 articles and several books. She has a PhD in social psychology from Yale University, and currently she's a visiting fellow at the Paris Institute for Advanced Studies. Bonsoir, Dr. Clayton. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks so much for calling attention to this topic, and it's it's nice to talk with you. How do you? Uh, I'm just thinking if you were, if you and I were at a cocktail party right now, and I said, "What is climate anxiety?" How would you answer that? Uh, I'd say it can refer to a host of negative emotions that people experience based on their recognition and awareness that climate change is occurring. Um, so I think anxiety is one of the most pronounced emotions, which is why I talk about that. But people you know, experience, tend to experience the anxiety alongside other emotions like fear and grief and uh, even anger. 
I would then add, if you were still listening to me, that chronic anxiety is, is, is not a mental disorder. It's not you know, a, a clinical diagnosis. It's a description of a very normal response to a very frightening situation. However, for some people it can become overwhelming, and certainly it's a source of stress that could um, present a, a threat to mental health. Do you think people are talking to their therapists about it? Yes, I I, I know they are. So let me start with a with a broad question, which is how are we getting our younger generations to care about what I call the global crisis? Well, I think that they really learn to care when it becomes personal for them in part. So in New York, I think you can see the effects of some of the major storms that you guys have had, or it could be seeing the impacts on an animal, or sometimes just hearing a personal story from somebody who's been affected from by climate change. So I think it really helps to make it concrete rather than abstract. Mm-hmm. Some of the things that you've written about, uh, about zoos and aquariums, which really I pivoted my way of thinking about them because I had always viewed them as, you know, caged in animals or contained fish. And you talk about the kind of psychology of having real experiences with the animals. You say that if they're scary or fun or awe-inspiring, there's kind of a, a visceral connection children have, particularly with animals. Yeah, absolutely. And you can debate the ethics of the zoo, and of course many people have, but my interpretation is based on what I see. And and first, one thing, uh, all of the zoo people I've talked to are so committed to the welfare of the animals, uh, both in the zoo and in the field, and trying to, to promote conservation efforts. But then secondly, just watching people in the zoo, and, and certainly it's not every single person, but they have these really profound emotional experiences, um, and not just children. You see, you know, very sedate-looking middle-aged people saying, oh, wow, this animal is awesome. <laughs> so, um, so I think that people can, at least some of the time, have these really significant emotional experiences with, in, while watching the animals. Yeah. Um, for parents that are, you know, bringing children up, how do you take that experience and sort of push it further? Do you say, oh, by the way, this beautiful snake you've been admiring is actually going extinct, and so, you know, you need to pay attention? Like, I'm curious about the language you use after they've had that experience. Yeah, that's a great question because, as you say, a lot of people have these experiences at the zoo, and for most people, they stop right there. So they need to be um, developed to have a, a greater meaning for the kids. And of course, it depends on how old the kids are. So you don't want to say anything too depressing to a very young child. But as they get older, I think you can certainly tell them about the problems these animals are facing and also hopefully combine that with something that can be done. So, wow, I, I just love lions. It's really sad that they are facing these challenges. Um, I wonder, do you, do you want to donate some money to help save the lions? Or, or what do you think? Is there something we can do to, to help save the lions? Um, and again, depending on the age, bring that into something that they actually can accomplish, maybe personally. And do you ever, um, and I did this with my kids, and it, maybe it was the wrong thing to do, but I would, I used to try to, combine things and show them how we need this particular animal, let's say, because he eats this, which saves this, which gives us oxygen. You know, I would try to sort of create a chart that shows what an integral part that animal plays in the much bigger picture, which is maybe a more positive spin. No, that's absolutely great. I think a lot of people when they think about animals and humans and all kinds of parts of nature, they think of them very separately and they have a very poor sense of how it all fits together uh, as part of a system. So anything you can do, and again, when the children are very young, they're probably not going to really grasp this, but to explain that um, their interactions and you know what happens to this animal might affect this other thing and it all comes back around to us and therefore what we do might all come back around to them as well so it's it's teaching about interdependence yeah and by, by the way um you know 
when I've been researching to talk to you about, you know, uh, the sort of anxiety that comes with global warming, I realized that um, a lot of adults can benefit from this too. You know, I, I, I have come across a lot of adults that are in denial or have fear about all this stuff and just sort of tune out. So um, I keep talking about uh, the younger generation or our kids, but I'm actually with a wink to you. It's really everybody. Absolutely. And adults are really bad about recognizing interdependence too. I mean, a lot of people I'm sure are thinking, why should I care about the polar bears? You know, why should I care about the monarch butterflies? Why should I care about bees? And they don't recognize, especially with the bees, it's pretty clear yeah. uh, that we are intimately dependent on them. Right. So let's get into the sort of mental health of this subject. So how do we help the upcoming generations of ki kids with their fears and their concerns? Because they're, you know, I have certainly seen with my own kids, there's that feeling of, um, look what you're leaving us with. How dare you? Look, look at the, the garbage buildup. Look at the wildfires. Look at the flooding. Look at everything. It's chaos in the news everywhere. Why are you doing this? And how do we, you know, the next generation, how do we stop it? Yeah. And I mean, the, the extent of that distress and that emotional response is, is greater than I even realized. You probably saw the study that came out. 10,000 young people around the world surveyed about how they feel about climate change and how they feel about the way society is responding to it. And just astonishing percentages saying uh, humanity is doomed. The government has failed us. I feel betrayed. So there's, as you say, these very powerful emotions that are not just fear, but also I think a feeling of anger that yeah. they've been left holding the bag. And uh, yeah, uh, yeah, the people who are supposed to take care of them have fallen down on the job. Mm -hmm. So a lot of parents, I think an instinctive reaction is, I need to tell them everything's going to be okay, um, especially for younger children. And that's not the right approach because children, I don't know if you could ever keep the news from them, but you can't do it anymore. They, they hear things. They have their phones. They have their computers. They have their friends. They know we're facing environmental challenges. So if you tell them, uh, no, everything's okay, they will just stop trusting you as a source of information. Yeah. So I think they need to be encouraged to talk about their feelings because it does help to express them. And, and Because if the anxiety is made even worse if you think other people don't feel it as well. So a little affirmation that this is a, a reasonable response can be helpful. I would also think that if you placate them and say everything's going to be all right, then they're more apt not to do anything about it either. That's true, too. So that they're even, even though teenagers probably don't realize they're doing this, they're still looking to their parents and to the adults in their lives for clues about how to respond to the situation. So if the adult says, oh, don't worry about it, it'll all work out, or there's not even any problem, um, even if the child doesn't quite believe it, they are getting this message from a very powerful adult figure that you don't have to do anything. And so they are, they've been entitled to go on with their lives and not worry about it. And don't you think that there's a reason that they have all sort of clung on to Greta as a climate crisis uh, pioneer and hero and speaker for them? Well, I think that she has just, she articulated what nobody was articulating before. And I know it's not just young people. I know a lot of older people who just cheer her on when she talks about how angry she is because yeah. nobody was talking about anger before. They were talking about anxiety and they were talking maybe about sadness. But this anger, I think, is a really important thing to recognize. And, of course, she's had such an impact. So she's also a case study of just because you're young doesn't mean that you have no power. Right. And I, I'm thinking about how, to be honest with our kids, you can use her as, you know, sh not as a scare tactic, but, you know, she was afraid, she's upset, and look what she's doing. Sort of a way to get them to be proactive. Um, you know, you don't want them to sort of throw in the towel and say, oh, we're screwed, or to just go, well, there's nothing I can really do about it. So I, I was just thinking about when you said, um, there's a way to have the honesty of it without increasing their anxiety, but actually get them a little mobilized. 
Absolutely. Uh, I teach college students, so five years ago, you'd get the, the comment, well, what can one person do? And now I just kind of say, well, here's one person, and look what she was able to do. I think when people think about, you know, what can an individual do, there's too, there's often too much focus on what can I do directly? What can I, I, I can't reduce the amount of carbon emissions in the air. You know, I can't clean up the ocean. But we forget how powerful social influence is as a, as a force, but also a thing. So you can, you can have an impact as a model. And even if, even if you can't affect everybody, if you could affect a significant subgroup of people, like maybe only other New York teenagers will pay attention, that's still a pretty large group. So um, we really have this tool for social influence that we all have that we often underestimate. And so when you hear climate crisis anxiety for younger generations, what are some of the things that you hear over and over again? And, and how do you address them? Like with your college students? Mm -hmm. Well, to, to, get, to answer the second part of the question first, I've begun to feel that it's kind of a professional obligation to maintain optimism. So I do try to give them a positive message while also listening to, of course, their concerns. And um, one of the things that's really struck me that I seem to hear more and more is questioning whether or not they will have children. So they, they're thinking about this because, you know, the age of 20, 21, 22, it's on your mind. And um, I strongly suspect that most of them will. But the fact that they're even thinking about it, they're thinking about their futures in an entirely different way than I thought about my future at their age. There's a sense of things things getting worse. Right. And are you, are you finding that they have a fear that I, I didn't have growing up, which is a fear of the environment? Like, are they feeling that, that they're in danger all the time? Like the flooding and the fires? I think... Um, certainly some younger children are feeling this way, maybe not college age, but I've heard middle schoolers who really have a sense that there is a battle between humans and nature, and humans were doing bad things to nature, and so now nature is, once uh, revenge in a way, is, is uh, turning the tables. And how do you address that? Like, what, what do you say? Well, I've never actually, I think, been exactly in that position, but I, I think it's very important to break down this idea that nature and humans are on opposite sides of the, of the battlefield, or, or that there even is a battlefield. So I would try and emphasize that nature is not out to get us, that in fact we are part of nature, and there are plenty of good things that people can do for the environment. And again, depending on the age of the child, let's look at some examples of some of the things people are doing in order to protect the environment. So we try and break down that antagonism. Right. But also the idea that the environment itself will become less hospitable. And I think, now I'm going to sound very psychological, but of course we had these nice ideas about Mother Earth, Mother Nature. Uh, nature is supposed to nurture us and take care of us. And so um, I think people have this almost subconscious feeling that nature is not going to take care of us so much anymore. It's It's going to be a a less pleasant place to be. And does that get at all give them the impetus to change? I mean, does that not provoke a way to try to befriend nature? Well, I think for some it does. I think most young people probably don't need to be more worried. They just need to know what to do and to have a better sense of how to do it. So some of them need to be more worried. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm planning on scaring the shit out of all of them. And it's time for a short break. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. 
And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? And meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. we're back. Can I ask you, what are you most scared about? Mm-hmm. Well, cause that will, that will become my fear as well. <laughs> if you're worried about it, then I'm going to be worried about it. Um, in a, in a very abstract way, I'm just worried about the future being harder and less pleasant for my children. So if I, if I guess if I were to name the one concrete thing, it would probably be the way population distribution is going to be affected by climate change. Maybe that sounds nerdy, but, you know, to be specific, what's going to happen to Florida? What's going to happen to New York City? What's going to happen to people who are living in um, low-lying islands? Uh, I'm worried about increased global conflict as people kind of struggle over, uh, you know, some people have to leave their homelands and move someplace else where the people who are there don't want them. Increased struggle over adequate natural resources, increase susceptibility to diseases that might be spread uh, by climate change. But my more general fear is just that it will be a, a sadder, bleaker place. I mean, I'm still optimistic, um, partly, again, as, as I confess a while ago, I feel like it's an obligation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we will develop new behavioral patterns and also new technologies. But gee, I, I wish we were focusing on those with a little bit more urgency than we are. I, I want to talk about the politics of this, too, because, you know, everything in our country is so fractured and polarized now. I mean, I think Republicans are far less likely than Democrats to enact laws and reforms about climate change. But, you know, we have generations of new voters coming up. And so, are you seeing an impact on them? My understanding is that there's still a very strong political divide between Republicans and Democrats in terms of accepting climate change is happening and wanting the government to do something about it, but that it's less of a divide among younger voters. And I think we can see politically there is already somewhat of a shift um, that Republicans are a little bit more willing to acknowledge that something needs to be done than probably they were five or ten years ago. So you see the parties sort of coming together when it comes to global warming. I will say I see them coming closer together. I don't see them coming completely together. I think it's been extremely unhealthy that we have this level of political divide about climate change in this country, which is not true in every other country. I think it's legitimate for there to be political differences about how to address the problem. I would love to see more political debate about appropriate ways of addressing the problem. What doesn't help anybody is when one political party says there is no problem. Yeah, that is a problem. <laughs> yeah. So, which leads me to my next question, which is, in terms of anxiety about this particular issue for our kids, I, I am a big believer that education is a huge tool, that that, that dissip, dissipates some of the anxiety about what's happening in the world. And... I would love, love, love if middle schools and high schools would implement global warming education. So it becomes kind of a fundamental part of 
our children's education and therefore they're more apt to want to do something about it as they get older. I think that would be great. For one thing, as you say, that knowing more about it can make it less scary. It's, I mean, right. we face lots of bad things. We're facing COVID right now, which is a pretty bad thing. Right. And education can serve a variety of functions. It's not just necessarily giving people the facts, but it can also be teaching them that it's part of what it means to be a citizen is to think about these problems and to think about solutions to those problems or to be part of the solutions for those problems. I remember when I was going through elementary school, we would do all this stuff in school. We would make posters about recycling and saving the earth. And so I wasn't scared at all because I thought, yeah, we have this problem, but clearly people are paying attention and they're on top of it. I think the disconnect for a lot of young people these days, um, as we're talking about politics, is that they're feeling the danger. So they're feeling, oh my gosh, the flooding, the fires, the animals, the you know, all of it. And yet there are people saying, no, it doesn't exist. It's not true. And I think that's also a difficult thing for young people to sort of wrap their head around because they know it intuitively, you know? Absolutely. It can be one of the scariest things in the world when you know there's a problem and people deny to you that that problem exists. Um, And not to be... uh, insensitive, but that it can be thought of as similar to the case of where a child might be being abused and the adults around him or her refuse to acknowledge there's a problem. Um, it, it really magnifies the problem. So it's not just about the, the physical experience. It's about the sense that others are not supporting me. Others are denying the very reality I'm living in. Mm-hmm. And if you were still talking to me at that cocktail party. Um, What advice would you give me in terms of helping my kids deal with climate anxiety? Well, I would say first, are they just a little bit anxious or are they a lot anxious? Because for, for anyone who's very, very anxious, they need to come to terms with their emotional response first. And I would say in that case, you know, go on a, a media free diet, you know, stop paying attention to the news do deep breathing, go for a walk in the woods, those kinds of things. Um, But for most of us who sometimes feel anxious but are are pretty functional, I'd say help your kids become informed because a big part of anxiety is uncertainty. And we hear all these terms um, being sort of thrown around, our world is on fire, we're all doomed. Um, I'm pretty worried about climate change, but I don't think our world is on fire and I don't think we're all doomed. So getting a little bit more accurate information about what might happen in my community in the next 10 years, in the next 20 years. What are we really talking about when we talk about climate change? Because even if it is bad, just knowing about it gives you a little bit of greater sense of control that you understand what's happening. Then I would say make sure they have people to talk to, and that can be you, but it's also nice for them to have peers. Um, So they might look into finding or starting a social group of people who are concerned. Mm -hmm. And then find something that they can do. Find some way to take action. Not every child wants to be politically active, so taking action could mean preparing your own household or... uh, preparing your community, trying to establish community um, response to, again, whatever issues that community is faced with. But I'm all for political action as well. Write your, write your congresspeople, write, write to um, corporate executives, asking them to change their practices. And that's a good thing to do because it might have an impact. It's also a good thing to do because, again, being actively involved as an agent um, can help you feel less overwhelmed and out of control. But I do think it's very important to give children hope, and um, hope doesn't have to be, in fact, shouldn't be in this case, unrealistic optimism, but just the sense that better things are possible. And one of the things that gives me hope is a sense that this, this kind of build back better idea, that we don't have to just avoid some of the worst impacts of climate change, but we can actually change the way we function as a society in a way that will be better than it was before. And that could just be things like walking more, uh, driving less, spending more time with family and less time in the shopping mall. I love that. I love ending on an optimistic note like hope. 
all right, Dr. Clayton, now is when you get to ask me a question. So what you got for me? And not in French. Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to ask you um, how you would describe your relationship to nature. I found when I was younger, um, I didn't appreciate it very much. And now that I'm older, I appreciate it so much. I try to spend as much time as I can in nature. I try to have my kids spend as much time in nature, which makes me even more afraid of it being taken away or being gone. And um, it's funny enough because a couple summers ago, I discovered clamming. So my favorite thing about it is not that I bring home dinner, but that I'm out on a bay and it's quiet and I'm seeing cranes and ducks and these beautiful weeds. And sometimes it's at dusk and I have one of those beautiful moments in nature where you can almost hear Fox Brandenburg concerto play. And, you know, those moments I only have in nature really. And I think someday when my husband and I retire, we want to be fully engulfed in nature. So I can't get enough of it. That's great. (laughs) Dr. Susan Clayton, thank you so much for all of this. I think it's an issue that's not talked about enough. And I'm very grateful that you came on and talked about it with me today. So thank you. Well, thank you very much for a really interesting conversation. When we come back, I talk with high school student and climate activist Jeremy Jarecki about her feelings on climate change and what she's doing about it. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? And meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Okay, let's get back to it. So I really wanted to talk to a younger person who might be experiencing some of the things that Dr. Clayton talked to me about. Jeremy Jarecki is a climate activist and a leader of our high school's environmental club. Hi, Ali. Hi, Jeremy. Um, I'm very happy to have you on because um, I screened thousands of teenagers and <laughs> you came up as the, the girl to talk to about I'm calling it climate crisis because there is a huge amount of anxiety, I think, with your generation when it comes to what the climate crisis is doing to the earth. And I'm just I'm curious, what is what would you say your number one concern about global warming is? What scares you the most? I think. Global warming scares me so much because it's an issue that doesn't have one finite solution, and it's something that 
we as young people and we as a society have to continually adapt to in order to confront it. And so that's really scary to think about an issue that you have to consider and care about um, so strongly for the next foreseeable future, like for the next decades to come. There's really no end to confronting this crisis. Is there something that really 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 makes you mad that really gets to you is it is it the abundance of garbage is it oil spills is it you know uh carbon monoxide like what is it that in particular really grinds you i think i guess something that really grinds me (laughs) is that people don't realize how it's going to affect them and so they detach themselves from the issue um And I'd love to say that I'm like completely selfless in my pursuit of environmentalism, but I am definitely thinking about my own future and if I want to have kids one day. And that's something that I think me and a lot of my like friends and peers have to question. Like, do we want to have children to bring into this world that is being threatened by climate change? And I wish that that was more obvious to people my age, just the impending doom of the crisis that we're facing. And it's not something that's just going to affect Australia or just going to affect the West Coast or, you know, wherever it's really hitting right now. It's something that's going to affect each and every single person you know and every single person who is going to be in your life for the, you know, next generation to come. And so I think that I just want people to, like, internalize that a bit more, how it, it is going to affect you personally. So you and your friends really are concerned about having children. Yeah. Like that's a real fear for you. And so what, what is it that, what's the narrative in your head when you think about it, that you'll have children who won't be able to survive? I think partly that, like it's scary to think about bringing up a new generation that's just going to have to face like exponentially more crises than we've had to face because in the coming years there are going to be so many more natural disasters and um you know oil spills pollution problems trash buildups etc and so i think that's a part of kind of like the horror that we're thinking about but also overpopulation is one of the main causes of climate change like if you look at this issue over time and just how I mean this is going all the way back to like the industrial revolution but how we've this demand for kind of fast food fast fashion fast innovation has created this culture of disrespecting the planet and a lot of that comes from overpopulation and so I think me and my friends even though that sounds kind of funny like we are genuinely concerned to contribute to the masses of people like creating this demand And so what are some of the things you're doing that is sort of your contribution to change? I mean, you know, look, for me, it's recycling, it's um, being aware of it, certainly reading and educating ourselves as much as we can. You know, I I have, I'll be the first to admit, I'm ignorant about a lot of things. I'm truly like, where is all the garbage going? By the way, where does all the poop go in New York? You know, that that kind of stuff. And I think for a long time, my generation would just be in denial of it or just go, well, it's not really my problem. So I don't really have to think about it. So on the one hand, it's great that your generation is standing up and going, hey, this is a huge crisis. But also, do you start to think of actual things that you can do that you and your friends practice that can make a difference? Yeah. For sure. I think that one of the most underrated ways to involve yourself in environmentalism is just like find your niche and understand where your passion aligns with the movement. And I think that that's the most important part of it. Well, maybe it's looking at like how Black Lives Matter and the climate crisis intersect and how like the crisis will disproportionately affect people of color. Maybe it's, you know, if you're LGBT, look at queer communities and like their lack of accessibility to clean water and stuff. Like there's just so many ways to get involved in just that small little intersection. And then that's just, that's, what's going to change everything. And then people just don't go outside. And so something that we do in our environment club at school is, um, we try and come up with like activities or fundraisers that will just get kids like hands-on involved with outside so last spring for example we um held a I think it was called a potting plants in the park party and (laughs) 
<laughs> we got a bunch of soil and a bunch of um, at home, grow your own basil and grow your own thyme. And we brought it to the park with a bunch of paints from the art department. And we got like 40 kids to come to the park and just sit there, like no phones or anything, playing some music, painting these pots, growing these plants, and just talking about like the outside and talking about environmentalism. And after that, we had way more signups for the club, like way more involved kids excited about what we were doing and I think a part of that is just because you need to find what people are going to connect with um tell me about soil versus dirt future food vulnerability okay (laughs) (laughs) Um, this is what I spent this entire summer doing so um Soil describes the very rich and carbonous material in which plants and ecosystems can grow and thrive in. Um, Soil is something that you'd discover if you went to a really biodiverse park and you just grabbed a handful of ground and you saw all of the different colors and all of the different bits and worms in what you were holding. That describes a really nice soil. Dirt, on the other hand, is kind of like dead soil. Um, And when it comes to farming and agriculture purposes, uh, you want soil to be able to grow your crops because crops fuel on carbonous material. So if you're going to plant a corn crop, you need it to plant into this really rich soil in the ground in order to grow into healthy food. Um, But once that soil starts to degrade because of, you know, weather, because of overuse, because of monocrop culture, then it loses all of the nutrients and it loses all of the carbon and it just turns into this super dead dry material that can't grow anything. Um, And so one of the huge, I think, effects of the climate crisis that people don't realize is that we really only have about 60 more crop cycles until a lot of our soil in the U.S. turns into dirt. And when it's reached dirt, you can't do anything with it. It just, it's like a total dust bowl situation. It's this, um, you know, material that is just going to get lifted up into the air, suffocate people, and it's it's not something that can be used for productive growth or human life. And so um, that's a really important part of sustainable agriculture to focus on, like how not only do how do we grow food sustainably, but how do we grow dirt? Um, and so in the coming years, I think that there are going to be a lot of soil farms, which is a really fun idea. Um, I actually worked on one this summer. So soil is a really interesting aspect. What, what do you do on a soil farm? Um, on a soil farm, you create kind of like little micro ecosystems for soil to grow without added seeds or added plants. So for us, we combined compost, we combined cow manure, and we combined some existing soil. And then we put it under this very tempered um, uh, kind of like bio mat. And over the course of a few months, that um, enables moisture and different kind of like fungus to grow and it re-injects all of these nutrients back into the soil and then you know after about a year or so a bit longer you start to produce something that can be reused again in agriculture and it creates a whole new life cycle for soil Um, and that takes time and a lot of people don't really have the patience or the money to grow soil so it makes sense that it's a relatively new technology but definitely is interesting and um is. When you when you say sixty more crop seasons, mm-hmm. is that sixty years? Yeah, sixty years. That's not very much. No, not at all. Um, I I heard that in the documentary "Kiss the Ground," which I'll plug. It's a very good documentary. Oh, is it good? Okay, good. That's yeah. a, it's a good plug then. Um, and you're a New York City girl, so. What is it that connects you to nature and what connects you to this issue? I think that my love for nature comes from really my family and my brothers immersing me in the outdoors since I was really little. Um, When I was younger, I used to go to a canoe tripping camp in Canada. That is kind of a tradition that's been passed down in my family. And as I started to understand what the environmental crisis was, I realized that not only was human life at stake, but all that I had come to love, you know, could be gone in the matter of decades. So is that Um, how you became aware of of the climate crisis situation? You kind of, you heard statistics or you heard 
things about the natural surroundings around you that you love so much that could go away? Yeah. Um, it started with that. There was also a specific moment when my brothers and I were on our Thanksgiving break and we were actually going to, um, uh, in and out burger to get hamburgers. And <laughs> I was having a fight with them in the car because I was talking about um, some like ASPCA or animal related issue. And they basically like stood up to me and they were like, well, you're about to go get a hamburger. And I didn't understand the significance of that. So then they explained to me um, what the beef industry looks like in America and kind of what role it plays in the climate crisis as a whole. And from that moment, I didn't eat beef. And then a few months later, I became a vegetarian. A few months later after that, I became a vegan. And I've been plant-based ever since. How old were you at that time? I was 11, but that was a huge turning point for me just because I think they really they really embarrassed me and um, kind of made me realize that I was a very huge hypocrite. Well, it's not so much embarrassing. They woke you up a little bit, right? Yeah. I also remember on that exact car ride, them pointing out the smog over the LA cityscape to me. And I think that just a combination of those things, like really like opened my eyes to what the crisis looks like. I had no idea that it was even a part of my life or a part of my future at that moment. And so when you think about the climate crisis, what, what are you most anxious about? I mean, what, what have you literally lost sleep over? Is it the overpopulation? Yeah, I think it's... I mean, that's a hard question. I guess I'm just scared of how big it is. Right. Um, I feel like it's hard to be a young person with this passion just because nobody really knows what they're doing. And it's hard to like stay motivated when we're all just searching for the answers. And so I think what scares me is that no matter how many you know, paper straws get used no matter how many Beyond Meat packages replace a beef package. Like, there's just going to be this huge crisis at the end of the day that we don't really know how to deal with. And we've tried all of these innovations, but they're just not big enough. So what do you do to help alleviate your anxiety when it comes to global warming? I definitely like to stay busy when it comes to environmental work. So, um, with my school and with a lot of other really cool kids. Um, we are the heads of our school's environment club, and we have kind of assembled this team of environmental go-getters who are working with some faculty to approach the administration about decarbonizing our endowment, um, having a real waste audit of the school's waste, um, and doing an analysis of the different types of energy that Dalton uses in our energy plan. So those are really big, three really big things that we're tackling. Outside of that, um, I worked on this organization with some of my friends called High Schoolers for Carbon Dividends. Um, we worked to create the largest national coalition of high school students and I attend marches and I attend rallies and I kind of do the most that I can do. I think to me, I don't believe that every person has to be vegan or every person has to dedicate their extracurriculars or their out-of-school life to making this sort of change, but I think it gives me a peace of mind to kind of lay some of the groundwork for my friends to help out in any way that they can, um, and that's just a way that I alleviate some of my anxiety um, and make it feel like I'm doing something good for myself and like I'm kind of, you know, helping myself out 20 years from now. Damn, you're good, girl. Um, I just really want it to be emphasized that like you don't have to dedicate all of your time to yeah. this because I think that that's what scares people off, especially young people. But it's it's so awesome getting to go to school every day and seeing like a new kid excited about this sort of thing. And to have like my friend Charlotte come in and be super jazzed about a waste audit idea or see my friend Declan talk about decarbonizing Dalton's endowment. Like that's just a really wonderful community to be a part of because it's filled with immense hope and just like excitement to get stuff done. It's so cool. I'm so, and I love to hear, I love to hear the optimism too, because, you know, we talk about the crisis all the time. Here's my last question to you. And I, um, I briefly touched on it before, but do you know what happens to all the poop in New York city? <laughs> I have no clue. Okay. Well, I mean, I think we need to find out. <laughs> I think we definitely do. <laughs> 
So on my podcast this season, I'm allowing my guests to ask me a question. So they get to go ask Allie and it can be about anything. Um, Mm -hmm. So Jeremy Jarecki, shoot. Oh my God. I'm so jazzed. Um, Well, I know Allie that you're like super ancient, but I am curious (laughs) (laughs) what the first concert you went to was. I've always wondered that. Oh my God. What a great question. Um, (laughs) It was a band called Bad Company. Have you ever heard of them? No. (laughs) That's how old I am. It was called Bad Company. It was my first concert. Um, they, They had lyrics like, bad company till the day I die. Your mother would like this band. Um, I went with a guy named Eric and I remember it was the first time I smelled marijuana and I didn't understand what the smell was. And Mm. it was very loud. It's not going to be the last concert I go to, Jeremy. Great question. All right, honey. Thank you so much. You were great. Thank you. These are two amazing humans that are not only helping with climate anxiety, but also actually trying to do things to fix it and make us all aware of how much we need to pull together our resources and try to put an end to global warming. I've known Jeremy Jarecki for years, and boy, I hope she runs for president someday, or at least the head of the EPA. And I love that Jeremy is out there trying to get other teenagers involved. And I think that there's a responsibility for all of us to do our small amount of help in terms of global warming and even in terms of helping our younger generations deal with the anxiety of it. I just think if everybody does their part, however small that is, if it's recycling or even being educated and aware, that way when you look at the news or or you read the papers and you see, oh, there's mass floodings, oh, these people had to migrate because of this, Um, oh, the fires in the West, I mean, It's going at a rapid pace. So every part we can do, and even if that's educating ourselves to help our younger generations be equipped and build a better planet, that's taking part. It's a global effort. So I hope that this podcast has mobilized my listeners to act locally and think globally. Thank you for listening to Go Ask Allie. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast and follow me on social media, on Twitter at Allie Wentworth and on Instagram at The Real Allie Wentworth. And look, if you'd like to ask me a question or suggest a guest or a topic to dig into, I'd love to hear from you. And there's a bunch of ways to do it. You can call or text me at 323-364-6356 or you can email a voice memo right from your phone to goaskalliepodcast at gmail.com. If you leave a message, you may hear it on Go Ask Alley. Go Ask Alley is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd.